go. We have our first customer. Flight day has finally arrived. The first vet has just checked in. She will be followed by 92 others. They are women, all. Female vets who serve their country in the military. Two during World War II, seven during the Korean War, and 84 Vietnam era veterans. They're coming together for this flight made history, but it's known by another name. Welcome to Operation Her Story. The lady vets who are part of Operation Her Story all served long before women were allowed in combat roles. But their service in years past as nurses, technicians, computer specialists, interpreters, and more has always been vital to U.S. military operations. And yet, recognition of their service and sacrifice has long languished as an afterthought. Ginny Narset, a retired Air Force Master Sergeant, figured her female peers in the military deserved better. I worked for the state as the chief of staff uh, for the Illinois Department of Veterans Affairs for only about six to eight months, not very long. I was like the transition chief of staff between governors. And one of the things I noticed, there were no women in a lot of the meetings that I went to. So I started thinking about it. I'm like, where's all the women? I know they're out there. Sergeant Narset devoted 30 years active and reserve duty in the Air Force. Her career took her to 41 countries, principally as a public affairs specialist, leading media and congressional delegations, writing and photographing Air Force news, USO tours, and helping organize post-hurricane humanitarian efforts. Operation Her Story became a vision for Ginny. She chose to make it her mission. How I got involved and why I became so passionate with it, I'm a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, and I was um, working on, my committee was the uh, service to veterans, and our region said, why don't you look into honor flight? I said, okay. So I started looking into it. I realized there were no women on these flights except maybe one or two out of every four or five flights. So that's when it all started. And I talked to the on flight folks and said, let me help you. We can, we can make it better. We can get these women on the flights if you trust me. So we worked, worked out a deal and they had asked me, they said, we can do this specialty flight, but you've got to find the women and you've got to find the money. That was not a problem. So I said to them, I says, I'll figure it out. And that's how it all started. So why do you uh, think that there have been so few women to take the opportunity to go on these flights? Uh, simply said is they did not know they qualified. They did not know they were considered veterans, especially from Korea and World War II. But a lot of the women would relinquish their seat, give it up for a man because they didn't feel they were worthy. They felt the man deserved the seat more than them. And I ran across that quite a bit. And I would have to convince them, sign up anyways. And how did you do that? How did you convince them that they were worthy of this flight? I told them to sign up. I says, we need to get an all-women's flight. We need to bond. We need to get together again. And they started signing up. 
well, you've got everything together, you're good to go, the fundraising is there, and then along Mm -hmm. comes the pandemic. And that puts everything on hold. And at the same time, you're going through some personal tragedies, the loss of your mom and the loss of your husband. Did you think at that point that you were ever going to get this flight off the ground? I didn't even think about the flight at that point. I just focused on my husband and I had asked the team to pick up where I couldn't pick up. But because of the COVID, there wasn't much to do other than sending letters every couple months to let them let the ladies know that they're still on a radar. We're still going to do this. We just have to be patient. Uh, I always did feel it was going to take off. The matter of when, I didn't know. But I thought my husband was going to make it because we just discovered he had he had cancer. So I thought, well, I'm working with him. And, and everyone was so good to me. They were all jumped in and pitched in and helped me. And and um, my co-founder, her name is Liz Penix, stepped in and she kept up the website and uh, wrote the letters. Um, I mean, it, she was just phenomenal, but everyone helped me. So you have all your partners together on the day of the flight, 93. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you're there and gathering to get on board, Wayne and Kathleen Mesmer are singing. God bless America, land that I love. And they're singing mm-hmm. God bless America and all of you join in. What were you think what were you thinking at that moment? I just had tears in my eyes and I'm thinking I remember how the women in the military back in that era how we were true sisters. We were really true sisters and we bonded. And it didn't matter what your service was or when you served. We all had that feeling of we're back together again. And most of us didn't know each other. That was what I saw. It gives, gives me the chills thinking of it right now. But that's what I was thinking. I smiled and I thought, we did it. We all did it. Acevedo was one of the voices of the 93. And I was towards the back, and I remember looking and seeing all these women. And every time I I was in the military, I was the only female in in the shop. It was mainly a a maintenance facility type work. So, you know, I always seemed to be the only female. And to see all these women there, it was like, I know we were there, you know, it's almost like now people can see we were all there. Maria was 17 when she enlisted in the Air Force in 1974. Oh, I didn't know what to do. And um, when I went in, of course, my parents had to go uh, because I was underage. Uh, My father kept reminding me of how this was a contractual thing and there was no backing out and my mom crying the whole time. <laughs> Maria spent part of her active duty years in Korea, just south of the DMZ, and later in Okinawa. 
She was a specialist in electronic warfare systems, an area typically male-dominated. I worked on uh, fighters, F4E models, the uh, wild weasels, the F4Gs. Tell me about electronic, when you say you worked on it, what uh, electronic uh, warfare, what, what were you doing? It was uh, a countermeasures, and what we did was we repaired equipment that would let pilots know, for example, uh, the equipment would uh, jam enemy radar, or, or they would, the aircraft, as they're flying, would be told, hey, um, they could spot a surface-to-air missile or uh, some type of threat coming at them. And these were countermeasures that the equipment used to um, protect the aircraft. When Maria returned stateside on a Christmas leave during one of her first overseas deployments, she went through a moment that would haunt her to this day. And I get off the aircraft and start walking towards baggage claim, and some guy walked past me and just spit at me. And I was like, what the heck was that about, you know? And you start, as you're walking now, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm walking faster. I don't know what to do, you know? And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. And it, it clicked, you know, this is right during the Vietnam era. And I know uh, we weren't, as veterans, we weren't um, accepted as, as people are now in the military. And uh, I just had to keep going, you know, and get home. That was my my goal. So. so the disdain and the anger pointed toward Vietnam-era veterans was not unique to men. It oh, also no. happened to women. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other thing, you know, people, obviously, we could not fight in combat um, at the time. Women weren't allowed in combat, uh, but we served. So um, this Operation Her Story um, kind of validated us. When you, uh, when you saw this possibility presenting itself for Operation Her Story, mm-hmm. what, what were your impressions of what it was going to be like? You said val- it validated your service. But yeah. did, well, what did you think it was going to be like when you went on the trip? Well, I didn't know. I, I um, actually, I remember telling someone that uh, in my family that the night before the trip felt like the night before I enlisted at 17. You know, um, I was n- not scared, but anxious, um, didn't know what to expect um, and was excited, you know. So all these emotions and, and in actuality, the flight out of Chicago reminded me of my first flight out of Chicago, going to Lackland for basic training. You were um, going. You were going back in time, weren't you? Yeah, almost. Yeah, and actually returning as well. Um, coming back felt like that trip back from Korea, only this time the reception was a thousand percent better. Operation Her Story arrives at Dulles. There is a reception that Maria Acevedo and her fellow female vets will never forget. What are you thinking when you're walking through the crowd? 
it was just like, wow, these people don't know us. You know, we're, we're, I could see in Chicago, there's a pride there. It's Illinois, Chicago. It's, you know, uh, fellow <laughs> Illinoisans, you know. But when you get to Washington, it's like, or to Dulles, it was like, my goodness, these people don't know us. And yet they're they're giving us this reception and and there was they had a little mini orchestra band playing and you know uh the military honor uh the flags that stood along you know, it was just uh, it was overwhelming really i imagine you were walking on air at that point oh yeah Betsy Ludwig served in the Air Force Nurse Corps in Southeast Asia from 70 to 72. Every which way you turned, there were people congratulating us, thanking us, so appreciative. Uh, People in uniform uh, looking right in the eye, the policemen, (laughs) thanking, thanking individually, me. I mean, if I didn't have my mask on, my tears would have been running down my face. <laughs> Honor Flight Chicago board member Bonnie Pear has been on many Honor Flights as a guardian. Operation Her Story, she says, had an energy all its own. So many of the veterans that we fly, male and women, don't think of themselves as heroes. Most of them don't. But again, that was just heightened for these women um, who had never really been recognized for their service. So, so that recognition, that was really the first time that they were recognized by people outside their group and outside the Honor Flight Chicago volunteer group. So it, it was, it was a very powerful moment. Most of these women from this era who served in the military were never really recognized for their service, not not by their country, not by their own families, not even within their own minds, as, as we know. And we've heard the stories of women giving up their seats on honor flights um, to the men who they felt were more deserving because perhaps the women did not serve or they did not serve on the front lines. But I mean, we know, we know from our experience with Honor Flight, whether we're talking about men or women, that anyone who served wherever they were asked to serve in whatever capacity was absolutely essential to the war effort. So for the women to begin to understand this and and to see this and experience it together was absolutely amazing. I was told that the women didn't go into war together as a unit, the way men did. Um, They were often sent as individuals to wherever they were stationed. And when they came home, they didn't join the VFW. They didn't join veterans of foreign wars. They they just kind of went back to their lives as daughters and wives and mothers. If they married and changed their names, that made them more difficult for each other to find, even if they had made connections during the war. And they just didn't have that same bonding, that those same opportunities to remain connected after the war that many of their male counterparts did. So this was such an incredibly important day for these women.
The Operation Her Story vets would witness a changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier, as well as visits to the World War II, Korean, and Vietnam memorials. But very early on, this day would become what it was meant to be, a celebration of camaraderie, sisterhood, and a rightful recognition of service, too widely delayed for too long. Yes, it was. we were forgotten, and uh, but not just forgotten. We were actually told that even though we were in Vietnam and we, you were just nurses, when we came back to the States, we heard that, you know, you, you guys were not warriors. And I thought, okay, we were not. And so I think I accepted that for a long time, that, yes, I was not a warrior. But then I remembered some of the training that we had that said, your combat service support. And that was as much as the combat service. So we were conserving the fighting strength. And that's what our motto was, that we're conserving the fighting strength. We're all important. Everybody is important. And that's what we all have to recognize. And I think we just have to respect what each contributed. Colonel Connie Edwards spent over 30 years in the Army, but the most impactful time of her career, she says, was the year she spent in Vietnam as a nurse. She was there during the 1968 Tet Offensive. Connie would much later play a role in the effort to create the Vietnam Women's Memorial in Washington, which was dedicated 11 years after the Vietnam Vets Memorial Wall. When you're standing at that statue at the Women's Memorial, you're thinking, I'm sure, that I had something to do with this. From the Welcome Home celebration in 86, we donated money, and so I had a part of this. And I was in Vietnam. And you look at that, and I'm sure you had a sense of pride. I had the sense of pride. Then I said, I see now that I made a significant contribution to the world. And that I need to say thank you. To yourself. Thank you, Connie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, you did it. So everybody else is saying thank you for your service. And I said, well, maybe if I say thank you for, for your service to me. And I did that in the mirror a couple of times. And I said, you know what? You are awesome. Tell me some of the moments you had during the day when people would come up to you and say, this was really a cool thing. Most of them talked about uh, the bonding and how great it was. And it was the best day of their life. And they thanked me, and I just, you know, I humbly said, I thank you for joining this flight, because if we didn't have the women, it wouldn't be a flight. And I was so excited to see the camaraderie. And it didn't matter what your service was. It didn't matter when you served. How personally rewarding is this for you, after all you went through? It worked. I, I think that this is the best reward I could have is to watch the smiles, the cheers, the laughing, the police escorting us. It just, it all came together and it worked. There's nothing like a cheering crowd to make that reward sing. On their return to Midway, the 93 vets of Operation Her Story were greeted with a high decibel ovation that lasted nearly 30 minutes. 
Hundreds of friends and family members lined a path in the airport to welcome home their heroes. At the end of a long day, there is no exhaustion, only exhilaration. Ginny Narset. And when we came back and we saw the cheering crowd, I was just hugging my daughter who went as my guardian. And I just says, thank you for being my daughter. That was the reward. Would you describe for me what you were thinking and feeling when you walked through the airport? I wasn't expected to be escorted by a young, a young guy from the Navy. I thought that was pretty cool. But all the people cheering, and I was like one of the first. And uh, I knew so many people in line, and they're like, Jenny, Jenny, come over. And I give him a hug, and, and, and Doug says, Jenny, keep moving. There's other women behind you. <laughs> so I guess seeing, seeing the crowd and seeing people that were familiar to me, like the Legion Riders and people from the Pritzker Military Museum were there. They were our largest donor to see the DAR with their signs. A lot of our partners were there. And just to see the city of Chicago welcoming us home. And we were never welcomed home like you see today. And that's what, what that was it. I really felt like a veteran that day. That's what it felt like. Connie Edwards. When we last talked a number of weeks ago, you told me what you were most looking forward to was the welcome home, a welcome home that you never got. You didn't expect one, but you wanted to see what would happen. So when you came home from Operation Her Story, what was your welcome home like? It was more than I could imagine. And just seeing the people there and clapping, and as we were coming through, there was the Navy they were all looking so sharp in their Cracker Jack suits. And then you look around and then there's another military service and they're standing at attention. All I could say to them was, you're looking so good. You're looking so good. <laughs> and I could just sit there and I could look at myself. I says, you know, I think that went over there. I think he's, he's maybe 25, but I was 23. And then I look, I says, oh, my God, the 25-year-old looks like a baby. Yeah. What did I look like when I went over there? As she walked through the cheering crowd, Maria Acevedo no doubt had thoughts about her years of service in the Pacific and how it influenced her decision some 20 years ago to adopt a baby girl in Cambodia. Maria named her new daughter Isolina, after her late mother. Daughter Isolina was working the night of the welcome home, or so her mother thought. But as Maria approached the last of the crowd, there was Isolina waiting. As you complete your walk through the crowd, there to meet you is your daughter. (laughs) And she throws her arms around you. Yes. What a moment. What a moment. Oh, it's... Even now. And she, she had made these little signs that said, you know, I love uh, my uh, veteran mom. I can't even remember what it said. Um, and, you know, on her flight 2021, and she, yeah, I didn't expect her there. Well, I, I imagine that hug was followed by a lot of tears. Oh, thank God for the masks. <laughs> Save the ugly cry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cries are therapeutic. They're beautiful yeah. things. Oh, God, yeah. What did your daughter say to you? 
she said, I love you and I'm proud of you. This day was so rewarding in so many ways. The question for Master Sergeant Ginny Narset is, will there be, should there be, more Operation Her Story flights? Well, you know, I think, oh, here's what I'd like to see. A lot more veterans, female veterans, mixed with the men. Maybe 20 on each flight. Because they still have that bonding, but they have it with the men too. And I, that's where I'd like to see this go. And a little bit more outreach and a lot more women signing up for this. And they can still sign up. And uh, that's, that is the goal that I'd like to see. Whatever comes of that, Colonel Connie Edwards has a feel for this day shared by many of the vets of Operation Her Story. You know, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, maybe this is not fair to say, but you know, when you when kids go on a ride at the amusement park, yes, they're scared to get on the on the ride. But after they've been on the ride and they get back, they says, "Can we go again? Can we go again?" <laughs> and that's what I was thinking about. Can I go on this flight again? <laughs> We hope you found today's Honor, Thank, Inspire podcast, a look back at Operation Her Story, to be moving and meaningful. If you did, please consider sharing this podcast and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next April's inaugural flight of the 2022 season will mark the 100th flight since the founding of Honor Flight Chicago in 2008. In those 13 years, we have flown over 8,900 vets to Washington, D.C. for their day of honor and thanks. That's all possible because of the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org. <music>